Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My, my there I am. Uh, hi. Like uh, like Don said, my name's Burke. If this is your first time to the Vine this morning, uh, an extra special welcome to you. Um, in fact, we would love to know that you're here. And so in these baskets, we've got uh, prayer cards and, and little information cards. So if you would like to, to hear back from us, um, you know, we, we won't accost you. Basically what you'll get is uh, a weekly email and, and, a, and a loaf of bread, I think, still comes your way. Uh, but we would love to know that you're here and get in touch with you. Uh, just fill it out, and there's a, an offering plate in the back. These, these baskets are, are not for your money. Uh, they're, they're so that you can have one of those cards. If you'd like to give, there's, there's uh, an offering collection basket in the back. Anyway, um, you know, you're, you're probably wondering why, why I'm qualified to stand up here in front of you and, and, and teach you from the Lord. I, I look like I'm 16. Uh, I'm not. I am five weeks shy of a quarter of a century, actually. Uh, so, so, I'm 24 and a half, you guys. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I've been I've been doing full time ministry for for over two years now. I'm on staff with a Christian organization called Crew. Uh, we do college ministry. Uh, I, I'm on the the campus in, in Oklahoma. Wow, I, I'm at OU. Uh, but and if there's there's something about about me that, that you probably ought to know before I get started today. You may have heard of a, uh, an adrenaline junkie, you know, somebody who kind of is always pushing the limits, uh, trying to get that rush of adrenaline. Um, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. In, in fact, things like jumping out of perfectly good airplanes seem odd to me. But I I, I do sometimes kind of consider myself a little bit of a faith junkie. And, and, and what I mean is I like to do things that don't make sense, that that ought not work and, and see God come through in, in really radical and life-changing ways. And, and so the, the passage that I've picked out this morning is, um, so, you know, Treb knows I'm going to preach on it, and so I'm, I'm happy he's, he's going to let me keep preaching on it. Um, but, but I just want to preface everything we talk about today with whatever I tell you, I tell you in love. Uh, I tell you because, because I, I care deeply about you. I care deeply about your, your walks with the Lord and, and, and your eternity. And, and so I just want to frame everything we're talking with, um, talking about with that before we get started. So would, would you go ahead and pray with me, and, and then we'll, we'll read that passage and dive right in. Uh, anyway, dear Heavenly Father, uh, just so thankful that you're here. Uh, God, just so thankful that, that you've um, gathered us together to, to come and, and hear what your spirit has to say to our hearts. God, pray that you'd speak through me, um, that I wouldn't uh, be concerned with the opinions of the people in the room, that I, I wouldn't, God, God it, I just want it to be true about me that, that if I, I, I had to trade my reputation for, for saying what you wanted me to say, uh, I, I'd make that trade in a heartbeat. So God, just pray that you'd, you'd use this time and, and that no one would leave here the same. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 3. Um, there are four books named John in the Bible. 
uh, there's the Gospel of John, which is about three-quarters of the way through, and then almost in the very, very back, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so we are in the John with the one in front of it, chapter 3. Uh, this is John the Apostle. Uh, he, he lived his life, or, or three years of his life, following Jesus uh, around Galilee and, and Jerusalem, uh, watching Jesus do miracles, hearing Jesus teach, and then he was among the first believers. And, and John is considered one of kind of the, the pillars of the early church. Uh, he, was, he was a big deal in, in the church. And so this is a, a letter that, that he wrote probably from exile after they'd tried to boil him alive. Uh, and they, they just, well, they, that didn't kill him, so we'll put him on an island in Patmos. And, and this is a, a letter he wrote to kind of circulate among the churches. And so he's writing to a group of believers. So I think it's appropriate that we read it together. Here we go. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You know, John's, John's got a few core ideas running, running throughout the passage, but the one that, that sticks out to me most clearly is that Christ and sin are opposed to one another. Um, they're, they're yin and yang. They're OU and Texas. They're, um, they're shrimp and cheddar cheese. They don't go together, right? They, in fact, John says the very reason that Christ left his throne in heaven and came to earth, he says this twice, was to do away with sins. And he, and he, and he also says... That sin is lawlessness. And we know that Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And so you have these, these ideas of this, this sin. The sin is, sin's a tricky thing. We throw it around a lot. Sin is actually an ancient, you, you may have heard this before, but we'll go back here. Sin is actually an ancient archery term. And, and it, it refers to anything that's not perfection. So you, if you miss the bullseye, that's sin. And anything that's, that's not perfection is rebelliousness to God and, and his, his perfect plan for your life. And so what sin is, is really, whether it's deliberate or not, it's, it's a rebellion against God and, and, and the, the law that he has made for the way things ought to work and, and his plan for your life. And so this rebellion to God is opposite of Christ because Christ came and he, he fulfilled the law perfectly. He never had a bad thought. He, he never had an impure motive. He is completely and perfectly innocent. 
And, and none of us are that way, or, or were that way, or are. And, and John is saying they don't go together. And, and in fact, he's saying they, they don't go together. They're, they're so opposite of one another. You, you, can't, you can't keep on sinning and be in Christ. They don't go together. If, if you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't make sense that you would want to keep on sinning. If the spirit of Christ lives inside of you, it doesn't make sense that you would want to continue to rebel against God. And, and, and he, he goes one step further and he, he says, I can even tell. I can tell who is in Christ and I can tell who is opposed to Christ based on who acts righteously and who keeps on sinning. And so I, I want to clarify something at this point. There's Some of you may think I'm a heretic and I'm not. Um, what, what we're not talking about here is, is we're not talking about once, once you make a decision to follow Christ as you are, you are not perfect. And you are not expected to be perfect. Perfection is not a, a requisite to maintain your salvation with Christ. In fact, um, just two verses earlier than where we started reading, John says, uh, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And the implication being, look, you're not perfect yet, but, but in a little while, you will be. And, and even earlier in, in the, the same book, in 1 John 1, 8, he says, if anyone claims he's without sin, he is a liar. So don't hear me up here saying, I'm, I'm without sin, and you ought to be without sin. I'm not saying I'm perfect and you ought to be perfect. Don't hear me saying that right now. What, what John's talking about is, is not a perfection, but he, he's talking about he, he's talking about keep on sinning or practice of sinning. He's talking about a habitual sin, a habitual, unre sinful, unrepentant heart. He's, he's talking about a person who's grown comfortable rebelling against God. And, and so, while you can rest easy that, that you're not expected to be perfect, you're, you're called to perfection and eventually you'll get there, but you're not expected to be perfect now, and, and really it's probably impossible for you to be perfect now. But, but what he is saying is, if you've grown comfortable with the sin in your life, then you don't really know Christ. If it's, he's saying it's not possible. It's not possible for Christ to live inside you and there not to be this inner turmoil over, over the way that you rebel against God. Uh, there's, there's a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller who I admire a lot. And, and he says that you can pretty much trace any sin back to one of four deep idols, he calls them. The, one, one of them is comfort. He says a lot of sins you can trace, like they manifest themselves in different ways. They manifest themselves in different actions. But, but some people, at what they want more than God, is they want to be comfortable. And, and, and so maybe, maybe that looks like you turn to a particular substance, or maybe it's just food. Maybe you just go straight for food when things don't go great. 
Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, maybe some relationship in your life has become more important to you than God, and, and you cling to that over, over someone who can really satisfy you because you think that's where ha- satisfaction or happiness is found, when really all that will do is enslave you. Comfort says, I think the things of this world can, can ease my pain and troubles more than Christ. And, and there are a lot of things that we can trace back there. Another one that, that, that Pastor Keller talks about is, is af- excuse me, approval. Of course, I almost said affirmation. It's approval. This is, this is a pet one of mine. I come back here a lot. And that's, that's the idea of, I, I get, I'm justified by, or, or I get satisfaction out of how other people view me. I'm in, I'm in full-time ministry in the Bible Belt. Uh, I make a lot less money than, than people originally thought I would when, when I was going to college. Uh, I live in a ratty old apartment. Um, with, with a grad student, we have bug problems sometimes. <laughs> and and people, people look at that and, and they say, wow, look at, look at Burke and, and, and look at all, look at what all he's given up for God. And, and in this part of the world, you can do that sort of thing and people really look up to you. And, and if I'm honest, I, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy it when, when people think, think I'm really great. Some of you are, are going to say, well, Maybe some of you will, will say some nice things to me a- after I come down and, and, and affirm me and, and, and what, what you heard this morning, and, and that will make me feel really good about myself. That sin, when that, when that is more important to me than, than the approval of God. And so may, you may have noticed this morning, I, I prayed that, that I'd be able to seek God's approval before yours. Um, so... Maybe, maybe you need to be the center of attention. Maybe, maybe you're always telling the people around you all of your problems because, because then they'll, they'll say something reassuring to you afterwards. Or, or maybe you're, you're always talking about the wonderful deeds that you've done um, so, that, so that people will, will think you're really great. And, and it's not bad for people to think you're really great. But, but if you're looking to that over, over God's approval of you for your satisfaction, that's, that's living in sin. Uh, the third that, that he talks about is, is the idol of control. And, and control, control says, I don't trust God, or I don't think God is powerful enough and good enough to really take care of me. And so I need to manipulate the things in my environment to make me feel safe. I don't, I don't really trust that God can take care of this situation in my life. I don't, I don't really trust that, that things are going to work out financially. Uh, and, and so I need to work extra, extra hard to, to make all this money to provide for my family instead of spending time with my family because I don't really believe that God is, is going to, I don't really believe that God's going to come through there. I don't believe his promise to provide for my family if I work a reasonable amount of time. I don't, I don't trust 
that, that God's plan is good. I don't trust that since I didn't get that thing that I wanted, I'll still be okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat my way into it. Or I'm going to, I'm going to bribe my way into something that, that ought not be mine. And, and I'm going to con- try to control my destiny so that, so that I don't have to rely on anybody else and I don't leave anything up to chance. That's, that's the deep idol of control. And, and then the final one we'll talk about this morning is, is the idol of power. And it's, it's related to control, but in, instead, of it, instead of wanting to manipulate situations uh, to make you feel safer because you don't trust, it's, it's really about wanting the authority that rightfully belongs to God. It's really about saying, God, I know, maybe, maybe not, but it, it's saying, I want to be the master of my life. I want to be the master of other people's lives. It gives me pleasure and satisfaction to know that other people must respect me or do what I say. And, and so people with this deep idol, this, this one's, these, these are workaholics usually because money is power. And so if, if you get lots of money, then you'll have power over the people below you. Um, uh, a lot of sexual sin is, is rooted in the deep idol of power, especially rape. Um, you know, sometimes you, you'll, you'll, you'll see this in, in relationships with where, where a guy, he's, he's looking for conquests in, in a woman, that sort of thing. That's, that's the deep idol of power. And so I don't, I don't know the sin in your life. I don't know what's going on in your hearts or your minds. But, but I would guess that, that each of you can identify with at least one of these things. And some of you, some of you are here, some of you are struggling against that. Some of you are, you, you love Jesus, you, you know the gospel, and, and don't tune out because we're, we're going we're gonna to get to you guys in a minute. Things are, things are going to go from, from heavy and depressing to, to exciting here in a minute, I promise. Uh, but some of you are comfortable there. Some of you are, are, are comfortable in, in your deep idol of comfort. Some of you are, are, some of you love your deep idol of power. And, and because of the culture and because, because you know the jargon or the vernacular, because you prayed some prayer when, when you were eight years old, you think that you have a relationship with Christ but what John would say is, I can tell because you keep on sinning that you don't really know Jesus. And, and I'm just going to reiterate, I tell you this in love. I, I'd rather tackle you to the ground than see you hit by the bus. In the flesh, we, we kind of respond we respond to the sin in our lives in one of two different ways, usually. Uh, the first way we can respond, and, and this, is, this is kind of my knee-jerk reaction, is to, to want to do better. To buckle down, get it all together, try harder, and, and win back the approval of God. 
man, I really messed up. I'm never going to do that again. I'm, I'm never going to do that again. And, and God, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, that's, that's never going to happen again. I promise. I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to do this, this, and this to, to, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm never even in a situation where that might be a temptation. And, and that's, that's called legalism or, or self-righteousness. And that's that's my favorite. That's where I like to go. And another end, the the another way you you might be tempted to react is to say, "It's too hard. It's too hard to to get over these deep idols. I love them too much. You know, I've I've heard that God is love. It'll probably be okay in the end anyway. I give up. I'm just going to stay here." Um. And that's, that's called licentiousness. That's called giving in. And, and neither of these things works, right? You know, one leads to self-righteousness. And, and honest, the, the first, you know, just trying harder. Like if you could earn your way back into God's good graces, there would have been no need for the cross. There would have been no need for, for God to come down from heaven to live a perfect life and die to pay for your sins. If you could do it on your own, you you wouldn't need it. So it's futile really. And it's frustrating and, and it either leads to people who compare themselves to others and, and then therefore feel really great about themselves uh, and nobody likes them. Or, or it just leads to, to burnout, and eventually they end up back on the other end of the spectrum, which is licentiousness. And, and so the temptation there is to say, okay, neither of these extremes works. What I need then is some balance in the middle. What I need is some, some magic formula of understanding how hard I should try and understanding like, that it doesn't really depend on me. And, and, I, and I need to find some spot in the middle. But... But that is a lie. The, the, the biblical way to respond to our sin is nowhere to be found on this scale. Is nowhere, it's, it's unnatural. And, and that's, that's really what makes the Christian life so hard is, is that the, the way we have to think about ourselves and our relationship with God is counter to everything you've, you've ever been taught by your, by your surroundings. And that's, that's that to overcome the sin in our lives, we must push more deeply into the free, loving, unconditional grace that God offers us. Grace is, is the unmerited favor of God. And that means you've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. It means God approves of you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you've done. Grace means, grace means that you don't have to try to earn God's approval. You're, you're free. You're, you're free from, from having, having to try and, and earn anything, but you're, you're also freed up to not want or need the things that, that you thought satisfy. 
and, and, and you know, the, what, what we're tempted to think sometimes is, is, you know, Burke, if you tell everybody that, that God will love them no matter what they do, and, and God, will, God wants a relationship with them no matter what they do, then they'll do anything. If, if you tell people that, that it doesn't matter, then, then Burke, the, the church is not going to keep coming to church, and, and they're going to they're gonna be here on Saturday night instead of Sunday morning. And, and that's also a lie. That's also not true. Because there's the, the, what, the, what grace does is it, it compels us to love God back. Nobody, nobody who's ever really experienced an unconditional love wants to return that with, with hate. Nobody, nobody wants to, you know, people often use, use the, the illustration of marriage, you know. If, if a husband knows that, that no matter what he does, his wife will never leave him, his wife will always love him, will always put him before himself, put him before herself, that, that man, that doesn't compel that man to cheat on his wife. It compels that man's heart to love his wife back in the same way. And God's grace works the exact same way. And, and, and just in case you wonder if it's too good to be true, God has proven, he's proven that you are never too far gone. And, and here's how I know. Because he knows everything. Do you know that even before he said, let there be light, he knew you? Do you know that, that even before he, he separated the waters, he, he loved you and who you would be and who you are? He exists outside of time. And, and so when, when Jesus, the perfect and pure and innocent Lamb of God, who had never done anything wrong or thought any bad thought, when he was dragging his cross up the hill, he knew you. He knew who you are. And he knew every bad thing you would ever do. And, and, and he chose. He was not forced. He was not coerced. He chose to die on that cross an excruciating death. And not even that, but to be separated from the Father in some sort of cosmic punishment that you and I will never understand. He chose that, knowing exactly who you would be and, and the ways that you would rebel against him. And so when you are in your, your deepest, darkest shame, when, when you feel like you've been caught with your, your hands bloody and your pants down all at the same time, God still loves you. He loves you as much then as he, he ever has and ever will, his infinite love is, is poured out on you unconditionally. And you can know, you can know that that's true because he knew about that moment when his hands were being nailed to the cross. He knew. And, and so, John's exactly right. You can't know this. You can't 
have this relationship with Jesus. You can't experience this love and grace and, and keep on sinning. It doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense that, that we would want to respond to that with rebelliousness. And so, it's not strong language when, when he calls us sons of the devil because of, because of the way we rebel. And it's, it's not over the top to say, if, if, you, if you keep on rebelling against Christ, you don't really know Christ. Because if you know that grace, and I said it and I'll say it again, if you know that grace, if you press deeply into that unconditional love of the Father, who gave up his only son. Your heart is compelled to change. Your heart is compelled to obedience. So I, I don't know where you're, you, all of you are at this morning. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this was a good reminder. I don't know if this is the first time you've ever heard something like this before. I don't know. But sometime today, I can almost guarantee you will find yourself in sin. And almost guarantee. I find myself in sin dozens of times a day. And so I, I know that if you're looking for it, you'll find it too. And if, you, if you'll pay attention to that, here's what I would encourage you to do for the rest of the day, and even the rest of the week if you can, the rest of your life if you can. When, when, when you find that, that you've rebelled against God, and when you find that you've You've made comfort more important than him. And when you find that, that you've tried to take his power away from him or his authority away from him, when you, when you find that, that you really want other people to like you more than you want God to like you, or when, when you find that, that you feel safer if you're really in control of everything, when you find yourself there, instead of giving in to the shame, instead of just trying harder and giving up, if you, will, if you will pray to God, God, show me your love and show me your grace. Remind me of what you've done for me and how I can know that's true. If you'll do that, you'll experience a freedom in Christ and a joy that can never be taken away from you. Just go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me. Your Heavenly Father, um, we're just so thankful for your unconditional love and the way that you've proven that through, through giving up your Son, the way that you've shown how you care for us infinitely, the way that you've shown how we have infinite worth in your eyes. God, pray that that would compel us to... 
to let go of our sin, that it would, it would compel us not to try and turn away from our evil deeds on our own, but, but instead it would just draw us into you. God, we, we love you and, and, and we long to be closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.